Morning. Good to be with you all. Hope you all had a wonderful uh, Valentine's Day. It's a great time to celebrate love of our spouses and our families. Um, We certainly enjoyed uh, the time with our family. Uh, I also want to just invite you to Bible study on Wednesday night. Uh, We always have a great time, although I might be partial to the teacher. I think he does a good job. It's me. (laughs) But you're more than welcome to come. We would love to have you guys come out on a Wednesday night. It's a casual uh, time where we have uh, just an opportunity to dive into the scripture related to the sermon. Uh, We have great conversation, great discussion. Uh, It's a great time, 6.30 in the chapel. Uh, I did want to give you guys an update on the mission trip. You heard me talking about that a little bit at the end of last year. Uh, I've been talking with Aaron Rice, our missionary in Peru, and we're going to be going down uh, July 22nd through the 29th uh, down to Peru. We're going to be helping them build uh, a hut so that when new missionaries go down, uh, they've got some property there, and we're going to build the hut so that when new missionaries go down, they can learn what it means to live in the jungle. We can teach them, uh, they will teach them how to, you know, set up the solar panels, how to set up their water. Uh, we just need to go down and help them build the hut. So we need uh, 10 to 12 people uh, that are willing to go down uh, this summer. Uh, the cost is uh, going to be between uh, $1,200 to $1,500 at the max. Um, if you're interested, I'm going to have a sign-up sheet with me on the way out. Just stop by and put your name and information down. Um, even if you're concerned about the money, please still uh, put your name down if you're interested because we're going to, you know, come alongside you and help you raise some money. Uh, to go do that. It's a great opportunity for us to really participate in the Great Commission. Um, I do hope that you've been enjoying our series around revival. As I mentioned, we, last week we started out by talking about the need for revival. And then we talked about um, the fact that, you know, what are the requirements for revival. And then we went into the fact that we need to live revived. And then last week we said, we can't put off revival. Now is the time for revival. We said that we must prioritize being in God's presence. I don't want God just in the general area. I don't want him just in the vicinity. I want him in my midst. I don't want him just, you know, next to me. I want him over me. I want him in me. I want him working through me. And in order for that to happen, I have to prioritize being in his presence. We know that we will never experience life in our specific circumstance if I am only pursuing a general God. Again, I have to prioritize his presence. I must seek him first. I must seek him above and instead of the things of the world. We can't expect God to give us his life unless I'm willing to surrender, unless we're willing to surrender our own lives to him. You know, pursuing God in that way is objectifying him. Pursuing God in a way that says, I want you to give me life, but I'm going to hold on to everything that I want to hold on to is pursuing the blessing instead of the relationship. It is using the wood that God has provided to build the temple. It's using that wood to build your own house, like we talked about last week. It is looking to use his provision to gratify our flesh instead of going out and glorifying him. We also talked about the fact that when we return to God, he will return to us. That when we repent, when we surrender, when we uh, go to him seeking connection, when we have humility that he will be the one that restores relationship. He will be the one that restores connection, and only he can. So on this realization that now is the time for revival, uh, we're going to be talking today about what the Bible says on, like, how does God bring revival? How do we know that revival is coming? And his word tells us that he will shake the heavens and the earth when he gets ready to move. And so we're going to talk about what that means today. Uh, And, you know, as we start our service uh, today in prayer, let's pray that God would help us to recognize the purpose of the shaking. Let us be sensitive to what he is doing and understand and recognize his purpose, his will, and his spirit. Father, we come to you today, God, and we surrender to you. Surrender my heart. I surrender my mind, I surrender my spirit, I surrender my soul, I surrender my body, I surrender everything. I surrender my will, I surrender my voice, I surrender my words. God, we are all here, united in surrender to you. And we know that when we are in one place, when we are in one accord, God, your spirit moves. And I would pray, Lord, that as you shake us this morning that we understand the purpose of the shaking, that we understand that you are getting ready to move. God, let us not be afraid. 
Let us not fall back because of the shaky circumstance. Let us not be concerned, but let us with anticipation look forward to what you are doing. Help us, God, to walk, to live revived in your presence, despite the circumstance, despite what is going on, knowing, God, that you are drawing us into an unshakable kingdom this morning. Father, we look forward to what you're going to do. Reveal yourself to us today. God, flood this place with your presence. Let us leave different than we came. Revived, living revived in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about Haggai, and we read from Haggai 1 and Zechariah 1. Um, and I told you today we're going to continue on with that a little bit. But just to reset the stage, we remember that God was bringing judgment or had brought judgment against the nation of Israel because they had been in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And then when some of them returned back uh, and, and they had been there for 15 years, they refused to rebuild the temple. They had used the wood that they were given to rebuild the temple. They used it to rebuild their own homes. And God became the people's problem because he wasn't their priority. You remember God, he shut down the heavens. He said, I'm not going to send rain. There's not going to be dew on the ground. You're going to work. There's not going to be a harvest. And anything that you do accomplish, I am going to blow away. Because you refuse to prioritize being in my presence. That was Haggai 1, 1 through 11. Well, what we see starting in verse 12 of chapter 1 is that Zerubbabel... He was the governor of Judah and the high priest, uh, Joshua, at the time. When they heard God, they listened and they responded. It says this, uh, starting in verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. So we see a couple things here. Remember, God told the people uh, in Haggai 1, he says, I want you to go into the wilderness. I want you to cut down the trees, bring them back, and rebuild my house. And it says that they heard the word of, the God, of God, and they obeyed his word. And the, in response to that, it says that they feared him. And it's not that they were afraid. Rather, they showed him the proper reverence. They recognized his power. They recognized his, his holiness. And they worshipped him by obeying his word. We talked about last week that when we repent, when we return to God, when we have acknowledged our sin and we go back to him, that God will restore relationship, that he will restore connection. And we see this here. Without delay, it says that once they obeyed, what did God say? He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. And you talk about a message that brings life. You talk about a message that brings like vitality and hope and peace. How many of you would love to hear God say to you this morning, I am with you, declares the Lord. I, I tell you what, that would, that would just, man, that, I, could, I could go on for, forever knowing God if he says that to me, John, I am with you, declares the Lord. What an awesome thing to experience. What an awesome thing to know. But we must recognize that that only happened, that message only came after what? After they obeyed. After they heard his word and did what he said, God said, I am with you, declares the Lord. Once they returned to him, God's word continued through Haggai. We're going to pick it up in Haggai chapter 2. Turn with me if you will, and you can follow along in the U version if you're uh, following along on that event. So we're going to read verses 1 through 6. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who was left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So we look at this, and God is asking the people. He says, who remembers this temple before it was destroyed. Who remembers the glory? 
that was in this place. Now, they had been in, back in Jerusalem for 15 years, and then before that, they were in exile for 70 years. But God is taking them even more than 85 years back in their history. I think he's taking them all the way back to 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when his presence descended on the temple and his glory filled that place like we talked about at the beginning of the series, and the people could do nothing but bow in worship. God says, do you remember the glory of this place? Do you remember what it was like when my presence was prioritized? He says, I have not forgotten that. So now that you are obeying, continue to work, continue to strive. Do not be afraid because I remember the covenant that I made with you. He says that I I remember what I did. I remember what I said when I drew you out of Egypt. And so the message for us today We may not be able to recognize or even remember the promise that God gave to us when we look at our current circumstance, but God does. You see, he asked the people, he says, how many of you remember this temple? How many many of you remember what it was like before? He says, when you look at it today, it doesn't look anything like that. He says, you might have forgotten what my power and my presence and my promise is, but I have not forgotten I see you where you are. I know what you are going through. And if you strive, if you continue, if you serve me, my promise will be fulfilled. Some of you might need to hear that this morning. Some of you, maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe he has placed a promise in your heart. And you are here today wondering where the fulfillment of that promise is. You might be questioning, okay, God, when? I... I, You said this to me, I believe it, but when, God? When? I believe that what God is telling us today through this this passage and this message is don't look at your circumstance. Don't look at the bleakness of where you are right now and wonder how God will fulfill his word. Rather, focus on God and watch him fulfill his word. You see, his word promises that he is faithful In 1 Corinthians, it says God is faithful through Christ by whom we are called into his fellowship. In 2 Corinthians, it says the promises of God are yes and amen through Jesus. In Romans, it says that we must be fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. In Hebrews 6, it says it is impossible for God to lie. In Hebrews 10, it says he who makes promises is faithful. So if God has told you something, if he has given you a promise, know that he has the capability, the desire, and the will to fulfill what he has told you. But do not look at your circumstance and be convinced that God cannot do it. Rather, focus on God and watch him fulfill the promise. But there's something even, there's a, a condition, a requirement in this time. You see, in Hebrews 10, it says that he who makes promises is faithful. But later on in that chapter, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may, you, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But, right, but the righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back... My soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we look at this and we understand that we cannot throw away our confidence. We must persevere. We must trust that God will be hold true to his word. But what we, we, we can't talk this morning. What we must also understand is that we will not receive the fulfillment of God's promise until we do his will. He says, hold true, do my will, and once you have done my will, you will receive the fulfillment of my promise. This goes back to what God promises through Haggai. He says to the people, you need to work. You need to continue to obey. You need to not be afraid because I am with you and you will see the fulfillment of my promise. He says, this temple which used to be glorious and now is in ruin, you better get ready for what it's going to look like in the future because it's going to be even greater than what it was before. He goes on and he says this, starting in verse 6. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations come in. And I will fill this house, talking about the temple that the people are rebuilding. He says, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory, meaning the glory that will come uh, to this house, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So we look at this, and God is promising to his people. He's explaining to them. He says, God, or God says to them, work, do not be afraid, I am with you. And why does he tell them that? Because right after that, that was verses 1 through 6, and then he says, you need to not be afraid because I'm about to shake things up. He says, don't be afraid because the heavens and the earth, the seas and the nations, they are about to be shaken. I am about to visit my presence on this earth and you need to know that I am still with you. You need to know that you don't need to be afraid. You just need to know to keep doing my will. He says, do not be afraid. Continue to work. I am with you, but I'm getting ready to shake things up. But why did he say again? Because he says, yet once more I will shake the heavens. Yet once more I will shake the earth. Well, I think we can agree that Haggai 1 was a shake-up. Right? Like when God, when God says, well, I'm not going to send dew. I'm not going to send rain. I'm not going to let you know, your, your, your work produce a harvest. That's a shake-up. God was shaking things up. He was shaking things up to keep things from the people because they were not prioritizing him. Well, here in Haggai 2... God is shaking things up again, but rather than keeping things from the people, he is shaking things loose for the people. What happened in between? They obeyed. They obeyed. So before, God was shaking things up to prevent them from experiencing the benefit of God's power, presence, and connection because they were refusing to connect with him. Once they obeyed, once they surrendered to him, God says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to shake things loose for you. And the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. We must understand this and see how it applies in our life. This is clear in the history of the Israelites. You go back to the Red Sea, right? The Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. They were enslaved there. The, you know, Moses, his, his mother and father, they put him in a basket and they put him in the Nile River and he was discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter and she raised him. And then, you know, when he was about 40 years old, he ends up murdering a, a, an Egyptian, uh, you know, slave master. And then he flees into the wilderness and he spends 40 years there. And then God uses, he brings Moses back to Egypt and there's plague after plague after plague after plague. And finally, the Pharaoh, he realizes, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to win this battle. Moses, you take your people, all two million of them, and you go. And so they leave, and they get to the Red Sea. Now, God had been shaking things up in their history. God had been shaking things up for them, and he's shaking things up again, because here they are at the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, the Pharaoh realizes, I just sent away all of our labor. And he sends the armies after them. And the Israelites are now in another shaky circumstance, right? Because death is behind them. They cannot cross the Red Sea. Death is ahead of them because Pharaoh's army is coming after them. What are they going to do? God says, I am shaking this place up so that you will not be independent, but you will lean on me because I'm about to do a new thing. Moses, you go stand by the Red Sea. You lift your arms up. You hold your staff above it and watch me split that Red Sea open so two million people can go through on dry ground. God shook it up so he could bring something new, something that no one else had ever seen before. And they go through on dry ground. And when they come through and, and Pharaoh's armies are in the middle, God says, Moses, you can put your arms down now. And he puts his arms down and the Red Sea crushes, crushes those people that are pursuing them. I think about Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham has the promise of God. Isaac has been born. Isaac is his son. He's, he's likely... An adolescent, 12, 15, 16 years old. And God says, hey, Abraham, you know that promise? I want you to go to the mountain. I want you to kill that promise. 
I want you to lay it on an altar. I want you to burn it and offer it to me as a sacrifice of worship. Talk about a shaky situation. Abraham had been holding on to the promise of God. The Israelites hadn't found that promise. They were still looking for the promised land. God was still leading them there. Abraham had it in his hands. God says, offer it back to me. Give it back to me. Can you imagine that conversation that Abraham might have had to have with Sarah? Um, Sweetheart, uh, so I'm going to go do an offering tomorrow to God. But I'm not going to take a lamb. I'm, I'm just going to take Isaac. Okay? Like, can you imagine this? Like, this was a shaky situation for Abraham. Right? But why did God do it? Because what he wanted Abraham to understand, what he wanted you and I to understand, is that he was getting ready to do something new. He was getting ready to show Abraham and us that he was going to provide the lamb. That one day his son would be the one put on the altar to cover our sin. We look at these situations and what we see, there's a common theme between them. That when God was shaking the heavens and the earth, when God was shaking their circumstance, the promise appeared to be at jeopardy. For the Israelites, the promise of freedom, the promise of inheriting uh, you know, the, the land flowing with milk and honey was at risk because they saw death in the armies chasing them, and they saw death at the Red Sea. God says, I'm, I'm getting ready to do something new. God literally told Abraham to sacrifice his promise to him. So what is all of the, what's the lesson here? God is saying, I'm going to shake the circumstance because I want to know, are you holding on to the promise or are you holding on to the one that made the promise? Is your hope in what I'm going to give you or is your hope in me because I am the one that created you? I am the one that even made the promise in the first place. Don't hope in the thing. Hope in the one that made the promise to you originally. This is, a, this is something that we must learn as God begins to move in our life, as he begins to shake things up so that new things can come. We might be afraid of what it means to the promise that he has given us. God says, hold firm, keep working. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I remember the promise I made to you. You stay firm. What I love about the story of Abraham is the way that he described what he was going to do. He and his servants and Isaac, they set on a three-day journey, and I'm sure there's a sermon in that three-day journey somewhere. But they go on this three-day journey, and they arrive at the foot of the mountain. Abraham tells his servants, he says, you stay here. The boy and I are going up the mountain. Now, he didn't say the boy and I are going up the mountain so I can sacrifice my son. What he said was the boy and I are going up the mountain to worship, and then the boy and I will return. You see, for Abraham, he understood that taking the promise that God had given him and giving it back to God was the act of worship that God required. You see, for Abraham, he was saying to God, I worship you by giving you the fulfillment of the promise that you made to me. And think about the confidence that he had. He said, I know God's about to do something new. Because I'm going to go worship with my son, and then my son and I are coming down the mountain. He knew that God could do greater and more things than he could ever imagine. And so he spoke it. He spoke it. Are you willing to worship God that way this morning? Are you willing to worship God by sacrificing the fulfillment of his promise, by offering it back to him, by giving it to him through sacrificial worship, saying, God, I worship you and I trust you above all things and I will give you the fulfillment of of your promise to me because my hope is in you and not in the thing. That is what worship is about. You see, when when we... read through scripture. God, he is shaking things up to bring new things. But in order to walk in those new things, we need to be secure in his presence. We need to be secure in his word and know that we are walking in his will. In the New Testament, God shook things up to demonstrate that his spirit was coming. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 
Uh, They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here we see that the people are in one place. They are united in their worship of God. God sends a violent wind that fills the place, shook the house, and his presence shows up. It empowers them, and and 3,000 people are saved that day. As you read through the book of Acts, what we see is that multiple times God demonstrated his power in this way, that there would be a shaking of homes or even of prisons to demonstrate that his spirit was coming and bringing transformation in freedom. Listen, I want to walk in the freedom of God. I want to walk transformed. And in order for that to happen, I have to welcome the shaking of my earthly circumstance. I have to trust that when God shakes the things around me, it is to tell me that his spirit is ready to move. Are we ready to invite the spirit in? You know, when we look at this, what we have to realize is that if we are not in tune with God, we will not understand the purpose of the shaking. All we will see is the shakeup. If I'm not connected with God, if I haven't prioritized his presence, if I'm not in his word, if I'm not surrendered to him, all I'm going to see is that my, my house is shaking. I'm not going to see that God is getting ready to do something new. I have to realize that God will create the labor pains in the wilderness in order to create the anticipation of the new place that he is bringing me. I have to be able to connect the act of God's disruption with his ultimate purpose. But I will not be able to do that. I will not be able to draw that connection. I will not be able to see how they are connected without being connected to God myself. I think about my little baby girls, Madeline and McKenna. You know, at nighttime is a disruption for those little girls. They want to play. They want to keep doing this. They want to keep doing that. But no, it's bedtime. Mommy and Daddy need some sleep. Okay? And (laughs) my wife says amen. (laughs) But in all of this, like even last night, Melanie was sitting on the couch. Now, you've got to understand, the girls, at nighttime, they want to go to Melanie. They want to go. They want to be with their mother. But the problem is, as a dad, it, it was instilled in me by my father that the way that a dad is a dad is he helps. And he, he looks for connection with his children. I, I, I experienced this from my father. Like He would tell me that when I was a baby, he would let me fall asleep on his chest. And then I witnessed him do this with my little sister. And so as a dad, this is one of my favorite things, is to have my children fall asleep on my chest. Samuel and I are going to try this later tonight. We're going to... We're going we're gonna, to... No? No? All right. We used to. We used to do it. We used to do it. But the, the point I'm making, the point I'm making is the father that I am desires the connection with my child, right? And so when I see Melanie with two almost 30-pound babies wriggling and refusing to try and go to sleep, the father in me says, I want to connect with my children. I want to support my wife. I want to help them get to sleep. So I pick up Madeline last night. And anytime I do this, this is like, this is not a one-time thing. This happens every time I do this. I pick up Madeline and it's, it's like the end of the world. No, I want mommy. She's just crying and crying. And finally, I sit down on the couch. I I pull her in close. I cover her with her blanket. I get her her milk. I let her hold my thumb because that's her thing. And in moments, she's quiet. In moments, she is drinking her milk. And then a few minutes later, she hands me the milk and she says, I'm done. She takes her pacifier and she falls asleep in my arms. You see, when I think about this, for Madeline, she couldn't understand my purpose. She knew my purpose was to put her to sleep. 
And she knew that my act was going to bring disruption in what she wanted to do. But she could not connect the act to the purpose until she connected with me. What I think what we need to understand is often we may even have an understanding of God's purpose. We certainly see his act of disruption, but we will never be able to balance both of them until we connect with God himself. Until we go into his presence and understand that his heart toward us is good. That his heart toward us is love. That his heart toward us is something for our benefit, even if we don't like it in the moment. We must walk in that place of connection in order to understand what God is doing. We need to understand is the shakeup that God is bringing into our life, is it a Haggai 1 shakeup? Is he trying to shake things up to keep things from us? Is he trying to shake things up because we haven't prioritized his presence? Is he trying to shake things up because we haven't put him first? We're seeking the world instead of him. We need to know that. Or... Is he shaking things up because he's about to shake things loose for us? I want to walk in a Haggai 2 shakeup. But to do that, I must be connected with God. I must prioritize him. We see this elsewhere in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews takes us actually back to the wilderness. He takes us back to the time where God is delivering the law through Moses. And at this time, the nation of Israel has gathered around the mountain. And Moses has gone up to the mountain. And it says that, you know, God sent, there's fire and there's uh, just violence happening in this time, like from an atmospheric perspective. And it's so amazing. And then God's glory is so thick in that place that if a man or beast touched the mountain, they would die. This is a shakeup. This is a shaky situation for the nation of Israel because God is speaking his word and his law to Moses so that he can deliver it to his people. And the writer of Hebrews says, you did not go to the mountain where God was at a distance. Rather, you have gone to the mountain where you can interact and and be in God's presence directly because of the mediator, Jesus Christ. And so I want us to study some of these words in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 22 through uh, 26, and then we'll finish out here in a moment through 29. It says, uh, starting in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. I want to pause here for a moment to make sure that we see what God is speaking here. You see, the writer of Hebrews says, again, that we didn't approach the mountain where God was at a distance. We approached the mountain where God was made close, where we are allowed to enter God's presence because of the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the hope of the gospel this morning. That, you know, we are not in need of a mediator between us and God outside of the person of Jesus Christ. And this experience on this mountain, the people were dependent on Moses as their mediator. He was in God's presence for them, receiving the word, and then he brought the word back to them. When we think about the the tabernacle and the temple, it was the priests who worked in that place on behalf of the people. And only one of them, the high priest, was actually allowed to go into God's presence. And even then, only once a year. I tell you what, I hope you're glad that you're not dependent on me to go into God's presence for you. Okay, listen, I pray for you. I lift you up to God, but my connection with God will never replace your connection with God, okay? And so you need to prioritize being in his presence. And guess what? You can be in his presence all day, every day. It's his will that you never leave his presence. It was made possible because Jesus 
didn't enter into a man-made holy of holies that was a replica of the throne room of God. Rather, what he did was he entered into the actual throne room of God. And he didn't enter with the blood of a, a lamb. He entered with the blood of the lamb himself, offering his perfect blood shed for our sins so that for all time and for all of eternity, we may be in God's presence. So the writer of Hebrews says, you did not approach the mountain where God was at a distance. You approached the mountain where God is made real in your life right now because of Jesus. He is the mediator of the new covenant. And he says, do not refuse the one who speaks from heaven. Do not refuse or ignore or reject the word of God. The people of Israel and this experience that the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about, they rejected the word from heaven. Because even as God was delivering the word to Moses, even as God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments for, you know, the, 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 uh, the Ten Commandments on the stone, what happened? He comes down the mountain and the people were worshiping an idol. They rejected the word from heaven. And there's a warning, do not refuse the one who speaks. Because then the earth shook. And then he says this, yet once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. That promise in verse 26, it is a direct quote from what we read in Haggai 2. The writer of Hebrews, what he is doing is he is connecting that Old Testament promise with this New Testament scenario, and he is drawing that promise forward to us that when we surrender to God, when we are doing his will, when we prioritize his presence, when we are not afraid because of the shaking going on in our lives, that God will shake things free in us and for us in this world. We cannot refuse what God says. The unfortunate thing, and I think we all can identify with this, is that there are things in our life that fight against our faith. There are things in our life that fight against our, our own desire and ability to follow after God in obedience. There are things in our life that trip us up and get in the way. In Romans chapter 7, um, Paul talks about the fact that, you know, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, but I do that stuff anyways. He says, I want to do the will of God. I want to do what God says, but parts of me covertly rebel. Anybody ever been there? You ever been in that struggle? Right? Well, there's a promise here in Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews says that God speaks from heaven and he says, yet once more, I am going to shake the heavens. Yet once more, I am going to shake the earth. Well, let's read on and see the purpose behind that shaking. We're going to start in verse 27. It says this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal, listen, the removal of things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For God is a consuming fire. God is going to shake things up in your life because he does not want you so attached to the world that you lose sight of heaven. He is going to shake things up in this earth because he does not want you so attached to time that you lose sight of eternity. God is going to shake things up in the kingdom of this world so that you may live revived in the unshakable kingdom. God is going to shake things up that you can see so that you may be able to look at and take hold of the things that you cannot see. God is going to shake things up in this visible place so that we may begin to understand what he is about to do in the invisible, in the spiritual realm. It is God's desire that we no longer live or identify that we are living in this shakable kingdom. Rather, he wants us to live revived in his unshakable kingdom that he has implanted in us. How do we do this? 
It's by worship. He says, oh, let us therefore worship God. Let us in reverence and awe lay that promise that he has made to us down on the altar before him because our God is a consuming fire. Let him consume even the promise he made and let us be secure in the fact that he's the one that made the promise. You want to live revived? Let God shake your house right now and be firm in the midst of of the shaking. So how can we do that? How do we, how do we stand firm in the midst of a shaky situation? We find the answer in a prostitute who became the great-grandmother of Jesus. Her name is Rahab. And in Joshua, uh, we find her story in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6. Now Rahab uh, was a prostitute, and we know that uh, Joshua sent two spies into the promised land. Now, don't be confused with when they sent spies in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, they sent 12 spies. And if you remember your songs from Children's Church, 10 were bad, 2 were good. The two that were good were Joshua and Caleb. They came out and they said, let's do this. Like, I'm not afraid of the people there. God promised this land was for us. The other 10 spies, they actually said, God was right. This land is flowing with milk and honey. These grapes, they're six feet tall. But in addition to all of this, these people live there, these people live there, these people live there, these people live there. Their armies are too much for us. How can we take possession of this land, despite the fact that they acknowledge that God's promise was true? So God sent them into the wilderness. They come back 40 years later. Joshua sends two spies into the land. And as they are roaming around Jericho, word gets out that they are there. And the the people, the the authorities, they're looking for the two spies so they can capture them. And Rahab hides them in her house. And she says something to them. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of, of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two uh, kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. So wait a minute. She tells them that the entire city melts in fear. That they tremble before them. That there is not spirit left in any man. She says, we have heard what God has done through you. We heard about the two kings, the armies that you overthrew. And you know what else we heard about? We heard about the Red Sea. We heard about how God split that Red Sea and two million people walked through and then the Red Sea came down on the nation of Egypt. And you know what? Since that moment, as soon as we heard that God split the Red Sea for you, we have been living in fear. We have been afraid for 40 years. What we see, God was using the experience at the Red Sea to shake things up for his people, to shake them free from their dependence, to re- for them to realize that he was God and he would deliver them. But the very act of deliverance in that moment secured the ultimate or would have secured the ultimate fulfillment of his promise. Because if they had gone to the city in numbers... And they realized that when, we, when they saw that this people lived there and that people lived there and this people lived there and that people lived there, if they had realized that all of those people and all of those armies were quaking in fear that there was not spirit left in any one of them, they could have inherited the promised land 40 years before they did. They would have been saved 40 years 
in the wilderness, 40 years in the desert. Maybe you're in the desert this morning because you forgot that God shaked things up so that he can secure your promise. What you need to understand is understand the purpose of the shaking is to bring things new to your life. And when you do that, you can take hold of the promise that that God has for you. Even more than this, these, these spies, they are greatly encouraged by what Rahab says, obviously, right? They're, we're afraid. We know that God has delivered this land to you. And they say, okay. And she says, I know you're here to destroy us, but would you save me? Would you save my household? And the spies agree. They say, yes, we will, we will save you. Hang this scarlet cord out of your window. And when we come back, if the scarlet cord is there, we will save you. If the scarlet cord is not there, we are not responsible for what happens to you. Well, you might know what happens in Jericho. You might know how the city falls. God tells Joshua, he says, I want you to walk around the city one time a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. And then after, this, after the priests have blown the trumpets, I want every person, every two million of, of you Israelites, I want you to shout And when you do, you watch me fulfill my promise. And so on that seventh day, after they walked seven times and the priest finished playing the trumpets, the nation of Israel shouts and God shakes the heavens and the earth and the walls of Jericho come down. And the two spies, they go into Jericho. It says that they go in to find Rahab because they saw the scarlet cord. But you know what? They didn't find Rahab in a corner. They didn't find Rahab under some rubble. You know where they found her? In her house. You know where her house was? On the wall. And so what we understand is that when Rahab chose to serve God, when she chose to acknowledge who God was, she moved from a shaky kingdom of Jericho into the unshakable kingdom of God so that when his presence comes into the world, the walls come tumbling down, but her house was secure. And not only was her house secure, but she was saved and redeemed. In Jericho, she was a prostitute. She became the mother of Boaz. Boaz married Ruth, and he became the father of Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David, who generations later became the ancestor of Christ. And so what we need to understand this morning is that God will use your shaky circumstance to secure your place and your role in his unshakable kingdom. God will use your circumstance, the shakiness of where you are, if you hold firm, if you surrender to him, he will use that to secure your place and role in his kingdom. But what was it? It was the scarlet cord. You see, Rahab laid this scarlet cord out her window. You and I have access to a scarlet cord this morning. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on a cross And his blood ran scarlet down and covered that mountain. He bled for you. He bled for me. And when we apply that scarlet cord to our life, when we allow him to come into our life, to overshadow us with his blood and his power, we move from that shakable kingdom into the unshakable kingdom. That even though God might shake the things of this world, we can hold secure because he has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken through his son. So my questions for you this morning, as we think about God shaking things up in our life, my question, are you holding on to the promise or are you holding on to the promise maker? Is your hope in what God can do for you or is your hope in God himself? Are you listening to the one who speaks from heaven? Are you rejecting him? Do you have your fingers in your ear? Are you ignoring him? Listen, listen to him today. Do not refuse the one who speaks from heaven. And lastly, are you part of the unshakable kingdom? When you look at your circumstance, 
Are you afraid? When you look at your circumstance, are you worried? Are you worried about the shaking that's happening in your life? God says to the people from Haggai, again, he says, do not be afraid. I am with you, declares the Lord. He says, continue working. Continue doing my will. Because even though I'm shaking this world up, you are part of an unshakable kingdom. As I pray, I want you to pray with me. And I want you to pray asking God or giving God the permission through his Holy Spirit to speak these questions into you. You can lie to me. I can ask you these questions and you can tell me the answer that you think I want to hear. You cannot lie to God. He knows the truth and you do too. Let this be a moment of truth where you make that choice to stand firm in the unshakable kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I come to you today and I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your son. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus into this earth, God, so that we can be covered by his blood, that we have that scarlet cord that we can hold on to, God, knowing that our place in your unshakable kingdom is secure. God, if there is someone here today, I know that there is, that is looking at the shakiness of their circumstance and they came in here afraid, let them know that they do not have to be afraid any longer, that you are telling them, fear not, I am with you. Keep working, hold on, hold secure. Surrender to me, hear my voice, listen to me. I am, I am, God, speak to them this morning, God. Let them know that as they surrender to you, though this earth might be shaking around them, they are citizens of an unshakable kingdom. Father, let your Holy Spirit speak to us in this moment. In this, in this time of stillness and silence, let it be a time of reflection. God, we admit, we confess our sin. We confess where we have held on to the promise instead of to you, God. We confess where we have, where we have put our hope in the things of this world instead of you, God, we, have, we confess, Lord, where we have not prioritized your presence. We confess where we have been afraid because of what's happening around us. Lord, forgive us of those things and restore us to that place, God, where we know that we are secure. God, the shaking might still be happening, but help us to understand the purpose of the shaking. Help us to connect the purpose of that shaking to, to, to what you are doing in our life, the will that you have for us. Help us to connect with you, Lord, so that in the midst of the storm, we might be at peace. God, I believe that you want us to walk full of hope and full of, of life and peace today. Help us to take our eyes off of the things you are shaking up in this world. Don't let the shake-up distract us. Rather, God, let us understand and anticipate what you are bringing new through your spirit. In this time, in Jesus' name, amen.